Welcome to Pharma Launch Secrets, a podcast by Evermed. We host direct, actionable conversations with world-leading pharma launch experts that will help you launch your next product or indication successfully. Now, here's your host, Bozidar Jovicevic. Hello and welcome to the new episode of Pharma Launch Secrets. I am Boji and I'm joined today by Barty Rai. Barty is the former uh, VP of Commercial Acceleration, which includes commercial operations, insights, data and analytics at Novartis. And now an SVP and GM for Health Insights, Products and Solutions at CVS. Barty has over 25 years of experience in the pharma world and consulting world, having previously worked as Chief Commercial Data Officer and Digital Health Innovation at Digital Health Innovation at Bayer, as well as a manager at Deloitte Consulting and even as an intern at the United Nations. Welcome, Barty. Thank you so much for having me. All right, so well, let's start with a very high level in the context of pharma launches. What do you think is the single biggest change when it comes to launching products five years ago versus launching products in 2022? I think the single biggest change is we always had data back then and we have data now. The single biggest change is how we use that data and move from not just, you know, really deep sort of insights on how to shape the market or how to target, but really start predicting what will happen. I think predictive analytics is the single single biggest change in, in my view, because we were giving guidance to the field, working hand in hand with marketing. So I would say we were still pretty data driven, but being able to predict what our customers might do or what the right target is or how we integrate multiple channels all together and orchestrate them, I think is, is a huge, huge uh, shift still in progress. That's great. I was just having a conversation with a big tech company and uh, the media and entertainment side of their business and healthcare side. And it was very interesting how they, the media and entertainment as an industry sees content as a way of obtaining data and then seeing data as a way to do what you're saying, which is to predict what the next uh, next step would be. This is a very big topic because another reason is, you know, in the past, there was an over-reliance of sales reps and sales force, uh, even before COVID, where companies would rely on the data that's in people's heads and in instinctive, instinctive like feel of the rep of knowing the doctor, etc. And of course, there was a lot happening even before COVID, but now I feel like everyone is forced to do something more about it. So let's dive a little bit deeper into commercial and data and launching in 2022. So first of all, why is data needed? Let's start with that. Is it because we're trying to connect different channels and then and then predict? And if yes, what data is then coming into these channels? Is it about engagement with doctors? Or how do we even think of the high level kind of reason why we need the data and steps of that journey? First of all, I think to your question on the, the reps and the, the business model, right? At Novartis was running commercial operations as well as data analytics, right? So I have sort of the commercial excellence hat as well as the insights and analytics hat. And so we, you know, when I look at what is most effective, I think the one thing we should preserve in pharma and life sciences is that sort of personal touch and personal engagement with the customers. You know, our industry is, we are not selling consumer products. We, we're selling health, right? Uh, and people's health is deeply personal. So I think that's one good thing we have, which is a very effective channel. Now the question is, how does it change? 
And how big should the channel, right? Should, should it still be that big of an emphasis or does the business model start to change? And that's where the data comes in. So change in data and why you need it. I think that the last few years, right? Let's say 10 years, 15 years in pharma where we've had access to really claims data, prescription data, dispense data, we, we've had it all. And we've had it at the patient level. The granularity in the US of the data is like no other country. So we've had access to all of this data and that's not new. I think what's new is the focus on customer much more deeper now, because in the past, it used to be a lot of performance analysis, right? What are competitors doing? What does the patient journey look like? Where do we focus? What brands are being prescribed? So we always did patient journey, the focus on customer insights and deep customer insights and what they need. And there is no magic bullet here, right? I cannot tell you like for all of pharma, this is the answer. I think it's much deeper. And so we are looking at then connecting customer, what the customers are telling us, what the customers are not telling us that we can actually see in the data deeper to then what they need and how we should engage with them. And that could be the channels they prefer. It could be as simple as connecting marketing and sales a bit more because historically the, the channels have been quite disconnected, right? We have a whole bunch of marketing messages and channels and materials going out. The Salesforce has their own materials and they're delivering, of course, messages, but we haven't really connected and almost orchestrated these things in a very structured, organized manner. So the experience for customers is seamless. We haven't done that. I think that is you know, one huge advantage of why we need data. And what data can do is create experiences, which is really a shift in the industry. It sounds very simple to say, especially where you're coming from industries that are more advanced in the customer centricity thinking. But maybe I'll give you an example to make it real, right? If I look at our offline or digital channels, typically like clockwork, there are emails that go out on, on a Tuesday or Friday or you know some other channel. The placement is all sort of decided. Yes, there is. Uh, change with the agency, depending on what's resonating and not, but it's, it's pretty much like a static, almost targeting process. And then you have the field going out, they have their own call plan, they go out on their own. How simple would it be and how effective would it be if the, the channel activities were actually coordinated and the field channel actually knew what was happening in digital and the messages built on each other. So, and we could get feedback from the customers and loop it in into all of our messaging across every channel. So that is like in a nutshell, you know, when we say omni-channel orchestration, we're really just talking about connecting the dots better. No, I, I love how you said it and, and you, it's super, super clear. So it sounds like it starts with really knowing as much as possible about uh, an individual customer in order to really tailor that at, at, at an individual level. So what are some of the sources of, let's talk about data input, right? And gathering the data. What are some of the sources of that data and what's the split between the, the data that's co collected as first party data versus data that's bought as a third party data about, about what physicians do, for example. So what are all the sources and what are internal versus external sources? I think historically life sciences has relied much more on third party data that we purchase. And even there, right, let me start there and then I'll get to first party and internal sources. But even the data you buy now, the choice is just it's, it's crazy, right? We no longer have the one or two companies that used to sell 
data, but we have so many vendors, so many startups that have propped up. I think there are 200, 300 vendors that honestly my team could not even keep up on, right? Every week we are contacted by vendors selling data. And I think there are a lot of advances and innovation in trying to piece together the patient journey much better for the benefit of the the healthcare industry. So I think that itself is an area where if companies have not moved beyond the, the sort of the single, you know, two company source of the truth, they should and innovate what's possible. And then I come to internal sources. Of course, we've always had what our reps are doing. We also have our own campaigns that we are running with, uh, with digital channels and, you know, what the results are. I think that the shift that's happening is that, again, these things were all disconnected, right? A lot of the digital campaigns may have been stored at the agency and maybe in some cases, multiple agencies, right? Multiple brands might have different agencies of record. So one, I think there's huge consolidation required. Second, I think just to even get all of the digital, our own campaign data all organized and in one place. So you can almost plug it into the rest of the sales, claims, RX, dispense data that pharma has gotten really good at managing. We've gotten good at managing sales and competitive data. And then you add to that what the reps are doing, right? What is the engagement that's actually happening with the customers? And that is where I think it's another untapped opportunity. I don't know if we're really good at capturing from the reps what the customer engagement dialogue is, because we do have restrictions on capturing free text or not just having a ton of uh, language that you have to sift through. But I think there's deep customer insights from the field that can be mined better. And then all of these things can be combined to derive insights, right? And the last thing I'll add is capturing first party data better through more innovative campaigns. And, you know, the art of the possible in marketing is, a, is another sort of opportunity that, that we have to reduce our reliance on third party, shift more to first party. And finally, I have not even mentioned consumer data that's available, right? So if you really look at the customer, not just as a doctor, but as a person, or you look at the patient and their holistic being, there is tons of consumer data that is now available within guardrails. And I'm you know, quite conservative, honestly, about using lifestyle data of, of a doctor that you're targeting, because I, 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 you know, I think there's a lot of privacy guardrails and we should do the right thing in healthcare. But... There's no dearth of data in this day and age. The question is the processes, the investment, and the very systematic way of harnessing all of this information. And then, you know, deriving insights that are timely, embedded completely with how you market, sell, do commercial, and then drive the business forward. Mm -hmm. Okay. No, that's, that's great. I mean, combining all different sources of data, as you said, from, from rep, from, from campaigns, from consumer and all these data providers. What's the role of uh, content and interactions with content? And I'm asking you this also because typically campaigns are about content is being pushed, let's say something through email. And there's always this discussion of push versus pull. And in other industries, what, 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 what I've seen is a big shift happening that in the past, you used to have a salesperson do the initial awareness building and trust building. And then in the consideration stage, it will also be a rep person and decision-making stage will be a rep. Yeah. Now, in most of these other industries, the first two stages are replaced by content. So it's a content-led engagement. And I often say, well, Whenever we purchase something new, we first go on, on the internet, on YouTube, we learn, and then at the end. So what's the role, how important is the data about content interaction and potentially building a, like larger 
content hubs, if you will, in order to generate the data so that interaction later on becomes in the funnel becomes more meaningful. So I think historically, right, and this is what pharma is trying to change, is that we've got a sort of a single selling model and marketing model. I think we, regardless of the life cycle of the brand, of course, there there's a legacy brand, there will be less investment in the brand. So there's less marketing dollars and sales dollars available. But regardless of the dollars available, I think the approach has been pretty similar. Whether how a rep is, is engaging, what we do with channels, just the volume is less depending on budget available. I don't think we have personalized our sort of marketing sales model forget about the brand and the life cycle, but by customer. We haven't done that, right? We haven't personalized the whole sort of journey by customer. And I think that's really what you're alluding to. So it would be great, right? If you actually knew for each customer where they fit in that life cycle you just talked about. Are they more at the awareness stage? Are they sort of a believer, but need more evidence, right? Where are they at this stage? And then you almost have a different set of marketing and sales tactics and approach that you deploy and it's almost like a lever that you can pull and say okay more digital for this stage more rep for this stage right so you you almost had a sort of a, a guidance or like a cockpit that could tell you for this types of customers and honestly individual customer this is where they are these are the levers and this is how much you need to push and pull in terms of digital and rep and coordinated as well so i think that's what you alluded to i think we are trying. Personalization is a big, big uh, topic in life sciences. And I mean, content to me is, it's not a separate thing, right? All marketing and sales tactics require the right content that resonates in the right channel. So to me, it's not a separate thing of is content hub required. Everything that I'm saying for marketing and sales working together requires the right content to be pushed through in the right ways and as personalized as it can be to that customer. So yes, now that requires honestly a big infrastructure lift because you need more real time, more agility in your MarTech stack. You need also customer identifiers that can go with the content. You need the tagging in place. So it requires a lot of infrastructure to personalize the content. And to me, that's sort of the holy grail, right? That's the final step of getting your data to work for you. And But data is not going to work for you without the right messaging. So both have to work hands. Yes, yeah. No, this is wonderful. I really love this conversation is, is going. And I'll definitely come back to like the data infrastructure. You know, as, as we're having this conversation, I'm thinking how, for example, I'm mentioning other industries today, but uh, I'm thinking how, for example, enterprise sales frameworks exist in other industries that where typically there is a separation of stages. I mentioned the typical one, which is awareness consideration decision. But another simple one is, okay, problem unaware, solution unaware, product unaware. So, so kind of every every prospect, in this case, every doctor is going through those stages and probably they're a little bit different in medicine. And then there is, you know, small companies, medium-sized companies, enterprise companies. So you end up in like some sort of three by three where you know exactly if you're a sales rep, you can kind of see, well, this doctor that I'm going to talk to in 15 minutes is, is somewhere in the stage two and they belong to the, this segment. So segment two and stage two. So they are somewhere like considering starting a therapy and for them and they watch consume this content and I know that they're they have patients like this. So my next message will be X, Y and Z so I can move them towards the right. Are there any frameworks like that that, that are exist that are publicly available to kind of 
help navigate this complexity? Like before we even go deeper into the what's the data infrastructure and everything. Yeah, so I think that we've been doing a version of this for years, right? We have our segments, we classify our customers in those segments, but it's relied overly on prescription writing habits, right? And, and what are they doing for competitors, right? Which products do they prescribe? Which competitors do they prescribe? The approach you just described has been overly focused on past writing behavior. And that, so your first question was, what are we moving towards? To me, it's predicting. Doesn't matter what they've done in the past, but it's predicting what they will do in the future and then tailoring your conversation accordingly. So the, the shift, I think, that needs to occur even more, and I think, you know, pharma is definitely aware and working on it, is very in a very structured way using the data for, first of all, making the segmentation more agile, right? It's not that one static segment that we roll out once a year or twice a year. And yeah, then it evolves, yeah. So it evolves, it can evolve on a daily, weekly basis. So I think agility in how you classify your customers and you can imagine for that agility to happen, again, your, your pipes need to be all connected and working real time. Uh, so that's sort of one. The second is, okay, you've classified your customer in the right sort of sub-segment or micro-segment now. What other information do you have at your disposal as a rep that you didn't have in the past that will actually help you? Other than competitor writing and past prescribing behavior, right? So how much more information can, you, can we give you about your customers? Can we tell you what your customers are doing online? Can we tell you they downloaded a clinical study from some website? Can we tell you they searched for these keywords or this information, or maybe they connected with these peers, right? So how much more information can we give you about the customers that will then help you have a more meaningful conversation? And then to your point on content, what are those messages? And again, that cannot be the 20, 30 approved sort of uh, templates, it has to be agile as well, because messaging changes depending on what the customer insight is. And then I will add to that the reps knowledge as well. I, I don't want to, you know, given all of this data and content, I don't want to understate the actual knowledge they have firsthand of their market, their territory, their customers, and it can personalize and tailor conversation even more to what the data is, is, is giving you. Mm -hmm. That's wonderful. And then we talked, we talked about data and prediction and channels and segments and resulting in more meaningful conversation. What is that in the end, and let's say in the context of launch or new indication launch, what's the final, the end business benefit or KPI for a business? Is it about reducing Salesforce because now you kind of have more meaningful targeted conversations? Is it more about effectiveness? Is it time? What are the, like the really the big benefits and that you're looking for when you're doing something like this? I think it's it's all of the above. And I will start with the cost angle. I think the, you know, the business model for pharma traditionally, because it is one business model, we don't have a lot of sophisticated different selling models. Of course, we do in sort of how we train them, but overall, right, the model is pretty similar and expensive for this day and age. So I think there is definitely a cost aspect, especially if you can control how much to push digital, how much to reduce rep and the timing, right? The, the product, which life cycle they're in, what phase of conversion they're in and what dynamic the customers are in, right? There's preferences as well. I mean, some territories, some customers, they're perfectly happy engaging digitally. Some are not. They want the face-to-face. -face. It's easier to just show up in the office 
and have the conversation. So I think being able to pull these different levers, depending on the need and effectiveness is, is sort of one change. The other KPI is effectiveness, right? So if you're using the right channel at the right time, the effectiveness should increase, again, depending on the situation. There are certain topics where nothing replaces a face-to-face conversation. It is the most effective channel. But there are a lot of other situations where you don't have to always deploy the most expensive sort of resource, right? So again, it's also playing and playing with, with those combinations. And then I would say at the end, customer satisfaction or experience, and there are different properties for that. I don't know if you can straight copy NPS and you know some of the other CPG KPIs on customer experience. I think there are some custom ones that can be created that are pharma specific, but also to keep in mind customer satisfaction. So I think those are those I would say would be the three or main KPIs. Yeah. Yeah. Those are super meaningful if you think about lowering the cost and increasing effectiveness, potentially lifting more prescription, increase lifting prescriptions and then being able to do that with, with higher customer satisfaction. It's it's a holy grail, right? Given the what we're discussing, I'm thinking is is if done if done correctly, done well, could be a source. Could it be a source of competitive advantage in your opinion? Absolutely, because we have. I mean, I think that is the source of competitive advantage, right? So, of course, you have to have the right. You know, you have to have the breakthrough product, right? There's a lot of innovation happening in the product itself, but the product will not sell itself. We know that we've seen that through launches, right? You could have the best product, but if not launched correctly, you may not you may not get the traction. So then pharma is almost catching up on, okay, well, what is customer centricity, right? What is customer experience? What is omni-channel? What is orchestration? What are the right services around the product? And, and also even, I would go beyond what we're selling, which is a drug to, we know that there are other sort of factors that are determinants of health other than the medication itself, right? So should life sciences go beyond the medication to transportation to nutrition. And again, these are all choices in where you're spending your money within a company. But if you truly want to look at health holistically, and you truly want to be patient centric, I mean, there's enough research to say it's not just the medication. There's a lot of, I mean, nutrition, health, food plays a big, big role in almost every disease, right? So how can we do more in that sort of concept of holistic health? We're saying the words as an industry, right? We're saying we want to be patient centric. I don't know yet, though, whether the investments, the operating models, the internal structures and the resources are all following to that vision yet. And I agree with that. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was it kind of in my past role in Sanofi. In 2017, I was having digital therapeutics. I was actually look, looking at behavior change and how behavior change modalities and digital therapeutics kind of exploded during COVID. How can behavior change modalities supplement what we're doing with, with, with the farm products? And it's remarkable that when you look at the cost of the healthcare system of the diseases that could be reverse or slow down just by behavior change. <laughs> and then you look at the, you know, $3 trillion that goes to healthcare, you well, actually, the huge, huge chunk, I think it's two-thirds or something, is caused by, cost is coming from diseases that could be reversed or slowed down solely through behavior change. Then you're like, whoa, this, the scale of this is just enormous. Uh, it's, it's a great that you mentioned yeah, that. Yeah, I, I think, honestly, it's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's, 
that point in time in an industry where the top line and the innovation have to kind of be aligned because if if we are focused on top line bottom line pressures and every industry has them we have them there's so much innovation happening right now how do we channel it towards top line and bottom line but it may not be immediate right so i i i don't know if we have enough appetite financially in in any company to keep the innovation funding going beyond r&d product innovation i'm talking about commercial innovation digital health innovation outside the drug services innovation right it all costs money so the question is how do you balance all of that yeah and it gets cut when there is pressure is the first thing that gets cut right and then for the what, what are some of the biggest learnings so let's say everything we discussed so far there's a buy in in the company and they're launching a product and C-level executive says, I, I totally get it, data and how I manage data and my whole data strategy in commercial and commercial function can actually become, be a source of competitive advantage. And then comes to someone like you and say, well, where do I start? Like the high level, how do I make data at the, the core of success for my commercial launch? Yeah. <laughs> I know it's a big question, no, so no, I, it's, just high low. Yes, and I, I think it's uh, it's the point where almost everybody is. I think as an industry, people are behind data. I think we, we don't have to sell them why we need to be data-driven anymore. I really do think everybody, leadership, CEO, top, everyone is there. They believe in data. Now the question is, give me the proof. Where's the value? How soon will I get the value? I want the data work to work for me like magic, right? So that's kind of where we are. The first thing I will say is that the investment in the infrastructure is extremely critical. And it's the most unsexy part of making data work and impactful. And I come from a business side. I don't come from the tech side. So my lens is very much business value out of data. And I am saying you've got to get your infrastructure in order. <laughs> Otherwise, it is all a band-aid. And you're, you know, you're playing with data. The analysts can do wonders with the data as one-off projects. But the, if the infrastructure is not all connected, there are one-off projects. You cannot recreate one targeting from the next in three months. It is a one-time, one-and-done project every time. And that's what, by the way, the vendors are that are working with life sciences do, right? They sell us one-time projects, one-time analytics projects that we can never recreate, push a button and refresh, right? So we, you've got to get the internal infrastructure in order so things can be connected. The data can become live. The data can be refreshed. And you move to this product-centric model where you start looking at data products where you don't have to recreate the infrastructure every time, right? 80% of it is sort of given and you can modify the 20%. So the shift to product thinking, I think, is extremely critical and, and getting the right resources to do that, to be honest, because I think there's a lot of promise out there in the industry. There's a lot of people that can actually deliver and get the stuff done <laughs> and build products. So that's sort of one. And be patient with that and it will require investment and you cannot like carve that out out of, out of a marketing mix budget. That requires an organizational investment in the infrastructure to make it all connected and live. That's first. The second I would say is think of value right at the beginning. Even when you're focused on infrastructure, the business impact of data needs to be driving every decision, every person you hire, how the team is deployed, what they're working on, what the operating model is, and I believe in thinking data can really impact multiple functions in a company from marketing to sales to medical, market access, patient services, right? If you want all of these channels connected for a seamless customer experience, data analytics needs to sit across all of them 
and actually provide insights. And the third, I would say is the culture and way of working is a big one, both on the analytics team side, as well as the commercial team side. On the analytics side, I think we have to up our game because we used to do analytics, present, and that's our job, right? Now I think we have the, the responsibility of standing behind recommendations. So really knowing which way we're telling the business to go. So the analytics people need to be much more insight savvy and business savvy. And I think we, we need to sort of have a bit more muscle in what we're saying and what we're recommending. Otherwise, we won't be taken seriously. We will be taken as a back office team that does analytics and then presents all of these complicated slides that the marketer or the salesperson doesn't understand. So I think we need to bridge that communication and storytelling gap on our end. And then on the marketing sales, patient services, etc. I think we need to up the game there to be more data driven, to be more analytically driven asking the right questions because there are no mind readers in analytics you, you know the business needs to know the questions to ask and jointly we need to come up with the right questions to ask and i would say the other thing is don't expect magic overnight right data is not going to suddenly solve everything it's a team sport and it takes time and it takes a lot of dialogue active dialogue to derive insights it's not a, a gift that we can tie a bow and present right it takes active dialogue yeah no, it can be really powerful. I mean, this is a fantastic conversation, by the way. And and and, uh, and if you think about it, it creates win-win-win because for doctor is better for customer. Let's say is better because they're having more meaningful conversations. Someone comes to them, and it's not just an interruption of the day-to-day. -day. For the industry, it's you know there is all the elements from satisfaction to cost to effectiveness, everything you mentioned, it's just a better world to live in if you think about it, right, on a very high level. More intelligent, let's say a smart way to engage, uh, if you think about it. We covered a lot. I feel like we could have another episode to go deeper into in change management and did, uh, data transformation. It could be whole. So we may do that in the future if you're up for it. But at this point, we would love to ask you rapid fire questions and get to know a little bit about you. The first one is, what's your favorite industry buzzword of the year 2022? Oh my God, it is personalization. Got it. All right. What is the best book you've read in the last 12 months? I am reading a lot of books around selling lately. So there's one called Spin Selling, which is a really, really old book. Maybe it's 20, 30 years old. There is an Indian author as well that talks about something called Chanakya Niti, which is how you sell internally in corporate world. So just a lot of selling. They're selling everywhere. <laughs> nice. Actually, the framework that I was mentioning to you at the beginning of our conversation, Tree by Tree, is one of, from my, one of my favorite sales books, which is focused on enterprise selling. Sales Acceleration Formula from Mark Robench, I think. He was the head of sales at HubSpot. Grew from three to 450 salespeople. And they had like something. He's a data guy, by the way. He was never a head of sales. So he came with his MIT experience. Now he teaches at Harvard. And from all the data and all the complex frameworks, he actually managed to distill it, distill it down to something that everyone can use so that business people started to embrace. That's why, that's why I, I mentioned it. But yeah, if you're, if you're looking, I definitely recommend that one as well. Spin is also great. What's your go-to song when you need some inspiration? I love Bollywood songs. So anything, latest hits from Bollywood is my go-to song. <laughs> And I can dance on them as well. <laughs> That's awesome. Of course, it's energy immediately enters the room when you put it on. <laughs> and who in the world of pharma would you most take out for lunch? I would take out every digital health entrepreneur and CEO and have lunch all together because there's so much innovation happening in that space. 
but we know you know we've heard about sort of the bust and like too much investment has gone in i just think they are trying to change the world disrupt the model and it's just fascinating how hard entrepreneurs work who have a lot of respect for digital health entrepreneurs that's great to hear and what's one sentence advice would you give to anyone just starting in pharma data or commercialization i would say do a, a deep functional job in the beginning don't do something that's too high level you know something that spreads across like take an area and dive deep whether it is being in the front line with customers or it's dealing with patients as close as you can get to the customer get that experience early on okay and lastly where can people find you online linkedin my name you can search and that's probably the best place i tweet a little bit as well so <laughs> Oh, okay. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, thank you, Bart. This has been a really fascinating episode and really enjoyable and learning experience, honestly, for me. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Hope that, you know, also the, the listeners to podcast will enjoy it as well. And uh, looking forward to potentially new discussion in the future. And good luck in your role. Sounds great. Thank you very much. And thanks for the great questions. You're definitely in tune with what is happening in pharma. No, no surprise there. <laughs> This podcast was brought to you by Evermed. Evermed offers pharma companies the fastest path to having their own Netflix-like on-demand video engagement hubs for doctors or patients. Make sure to search for Pharma Launch Secrets in Apple Podcasts or Spotify and click on the follow icon so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Evermed, thanks for listening.